0: And so as we get started this morning, I just want to help us have this long view of Scripture. And so, like I said before, we need to keep the text in its context. And so just a few quick things to highlight about Mark's Gospel before we dig into it. This is most likely the earliest written of the four Gospels. Most scholars believe that it was written somewhere around 20 to 30 years after Jesus' death and and resurrection. And the author is known as John Mark. John's his Hebrew name, Mark is his Greek name. And he's just called Mark for short. He's a cousin of Barnabas, and Barnabas is the the one that was uh, Paul's missionary partner. Mark joined them on one of their missionaries, and then he's actually the reason that Paul and Barnabas split ways, because they butted heads about Mark. And so you can read all about that in Acts 12 through 15. Mark was not one of the 12 disciples, but most of the scholars agree that that um, his gospel was most heavily influenced by regular contact with the apostle Peter, who was one of the original twelve. So Mark writes his gospel, and th- this is kind of the theme that we want to keep running through our minds as we go through this week after week after week. He writes this gospel to show Jesus as both the Son of God who carries the divine authority to inaugurate God's kingdom coming kingdom, and as the Son of Man, who defines what it truly means to be human. And so in representing Jesus this way, Mark constantly puts this call on the readers to identify themselves then either as disciples of this Jesus or deniers of this Jesus. And so the events of Mark's gospel, they're not recorded in chronological order. Some of the other gospels are. Luke is more organized that way. But instead, they're they're grouped Mark groups them in a way on purpose to point the reader to a particular theme. So as I read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15 this morning, I want you to listen for repeated words and phrases that that might help us reveal, what is this theme? What's the thing that Mark is communicating here this morning? So I want to read, and then then we'll pray and then get into the, the message again. Mark 1, 1 through 15. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and, he, and was baptized in the Jordan by John. And so as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was in with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. And after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word, and we're thankful that uh, it does the work with your spirit in our hearts to convict us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to call us to turn to you. And so I pray that as we go through this together this morning, that your name would be known that you would be lifted up, that the hearts of those who have turned from their sin and trusted in you would be encouraged, and the hearts of those that haven't would see the good news of Jesus Christ come to save and respond in faith this morning. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I went to college in the late 90s, and it was right on the cusp of the technological advancement. I remember having a cell phone Um, you know, it was like this thick and, and it kind of flipped open and I had to keep it in the glove box of my car and only use it for emergencies because the, the rates of making a phone call on that thing were ridiculous, which I found out the hard way. Um, but one thing that I, I remember in my dorm room was, um, on my computer, we had this, this thing set up. It was called instant messenger. Anybody remember instant messenger? Now we all have like messenger on our phone and and texting a lot of stuff, but it, this was instant messenger. I think it was from AOL, and uh, it was one of those things you had to log into. But we got to stay logged in at the school because the school had internet. We had to plug our computers into you know no Wi-Fi kind of thing, and um, and, and I remember like it would have these default sort of we, we call them ringtones now, but like this these sounds that w- that would make uh, when people logged on. And then you could you could actually customize those sounds so that you knew who logged on without having to go over and look at it. And that was about the time I started dating my wife, um, who wasn't my wife at the time, but um, I really enjoyed our instant message times. Okay, and so um, I customized that ringtone because I wanted to know when she was logging on, and I wanted to know what she had to say, right? And so um, my ringtone for her was Homer Simpson going woohoo. That was like 20 years ago, okay. But I'm really considering putting that back on my phone. Um, so, like, I'm I'm i in my dorm room and I'm doing these things, and all of a sudden I hear, "Woohoo!" Drop what I do, run over to my computer, and see what she's got to say. Right? She's got a message for me, and I can't wait to read it. And so this morning, as we look into to these the, these verses. We're going to see that there are, there are kind of different people logging in, so to speak, and, and people that have these messages that we need to hear. And so we want, to, we want to listen really well for what they have to say because it's important. And so as we read, as we go back through this this morning, here's the questions that we need to ask. Who is the messenger? Who's the messenger? And what is their message? And so if you look back at, at Mark 1, Verses 1 through 3, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now, Mark's primary audience that he's writing this gospel for are Roman Gentiles. But he begins his gospel by quoting something from Jewish uh, tradition, something that the, that the Jews would be familiar with from the, from the Jewish prophets he 's rooting christ 's identity as the Son of God in the history of israel 's relationship with God, uh, and it 's so important that Mark wants even his non-Jewish readers to understand it. You see, Israel was God's chosen people. He delivered them out of slavery from Egypt and established his covenant with them in the wilderness and he brought them into the land that He promised to give them through covenant that He made with. Abraham. But then Israel rebelled and they broke God's covenant. They broke their side of that covenant. And as a result, they were sent back into exile and slavery under the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And all through that time, God remained faithful to them in his covenant of love for them. And he sent them prophets to remind them of this covenant of love. He sent them prophets to warn them of his coming judgment against their rebellion. It would not go unpunished. He sent them prophets to call them to repentance and to reconciliation with him and to encourage them to look to the new covenant that he would make with them where he would come and he would deliver them once again from exile, restore them as his people and graciously then rule over them forever as their one and only king. Mark is ultimately going to point to Jesus as the one who has come to usher in this new covenant between God and his people, which will now include not only Jews, but Gentiles as well. And so this is why uh, Mark wants his Gentile readers to know how this good news began. Two of the other gospels begins with the birth of Jesus. Mark's going all the way back and saying, this is the one who is coming, who's been uh, told about. And it was a common Jewish practice um, back then to, to sort of group these citations together and credit the most prominent author. So even though he quotes Malachi and Isaiah here, he's, he's pointing to Isaiah as the source. In verse 2, he quotes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, which says, See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And then the Lord you seek will suddenly come into his temple, the messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he's coming, said the Lord of armies. And then in verse 3, Mark quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which says, A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. And then look at what Mark says here in, in verse 4. He says, John came. Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So who's the messenger? The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. John came baptizing in the wilderness. Mark is pointing us to John here, the Baptist, as the messenger that the prophets spoke about. And so what's John's message then? The Lord is coming. Repent and and believe. Be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Make yourselves ready see john was preparing the people for a fulfillment of the new covenant and like a prophet he's calling them to repentance to confess their sins and to turn to the lord and to be forgiven so that they will not have to face the judgment that is to come when he returns and so how did the people respond then to this message look at verse five the whole judean countryside and all the people of jerusalem were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now Mark is using a little bit of a, of a hyperbole here. He's, he, not every single person came out from the Judean countryside and not every single person came from Jerusalem. He's overemphasizing, though, to make this point. there's a massive response to this. There's a massive response to this message uh, that, the, that the, the Lord is near. He's coming. repent, confess be baptized, prepare yourselves. And it's happening here at a familiar river. If you know the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of their rebellion against God, the Israelites crossed this Jordan River to take possession of the promised land because of God's faithfulness to them. And so before they crossed over, they were told to to consecrate themselves, to prepare themselves, to make themselves ready in in preparation for entering into the land as God's people. And so here in response to John's call, people were once again coming to the Jordan River to do what? To consecrate themselves. This time in preparation for the coming Messiah and the promise of an eternal kingdom. And then Mark gives this interesting description of John here in verse 6. It says, John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now, that sounds like this random and unnecessary detail, like we just kind of, you know, move past that, right? But there aren't very many descriptions this way in, in, the, in the Bible where they're, they're giving you details about what this person is wearing and what they're eating. And so when things like that show up, that's a signal for us to stop and pay attention and make a note, because not only does Mark quote directly from the prophets, but he also alludes to the prophets, and this is one of those cases. He says in, or in 2 Kings 1, eight, the prophet Elijah is described as a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. And earlier this morning, I read from Malachi chapter 4 that talks about the prophet Elijah coming to turn the hearts of the fathers toward their children and the, and the hearts of the children toward their fathers. And so by describing John this way, he's a hairy man. He's got camel hair, fur clothes. He's got a leather belt around his waist. He's alluding to this fact, this is the Elijah that was prophesied about. This is Elijah come now, who would call the nation to repent before the day of the Lord. Now John is not actually the prophet Elijah reincarnated. In in Luke's gospel, He says that John will come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. And that power is on display by the huge response from the people coming and confessing their sins and being baptized. They're believing what John says and they're doing something about it. The Lord has given him this authority to proclaim this message and is calling the people to respond. John was the long-awaited messenger who came in power to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. Now look at verses 7 and 8. He proclaimed, this is John, John proclaimed, One who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John said, one more powerful than me is coming. And then Mark says, in those days, Jesus came. So as the reader, you can't help but make this connection that Jesus is the one who's coming, who is more powerful than John. But what, in, in what ways is he more powerful? John, John points to one in verse 8. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, John can clean people on the outside as a symbol of, uh, of the inner workings of their heart. Jesus, though, will clean people on the inside. And how will he do that? By washing them with the regenerating and renewing power of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember Titus 2:14 from last week? It says this about Jesus: He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people. For his own possession, to cleanse for himself, a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Jesus came to bring about a new exodus and to deliver people from slavery to sin and death and to cleanse them and to prepare them to enter the promised kingdom of God. But then some, something strange happens here in the next few verses. So look at, look at verse 9. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now John baptized people with water to cleanse them on the outside as a sign for the forgiveness of their sins. He says he's unworthy to untie Jesus' sandals. That's something that only a a Jewish slave would do. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. This man is coming. He's got more power than I do. Jesus is the coming Lord whom John was preparing the people for. And then Jesus, the Son of God, the, the sinless one who has no sin to confess, he gets baptized. Why? What does he have to repent of? What does he have to turn from? His baptism serves two purposes. Through his baptism, Jesus identifies himself with the people that he was coming to save from their sins, even though he was himself sinless. When we are baptized in Christ, we are buried in the likeness of his death and we're raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk with him as new creations. Christ came to identify himself with the people he was coming to save. And in his baptism then, his true identity, not just as the Son of Man but as the Son of God, is confirmed by God the Father, and his ministry then on earth is inaugurated by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. John was a voice crying in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way for the Lord. And now, a voice came from heaven, confirming Jesus as the Son of God and the Lord who has come. And once again, his power is revealed through the tearing open of the heavens. Near the end of the book of Isaiah, The people of Israel pray to the Lord, and and they long to be set free from the captivity that they've they've put themselves in and to be restored to their inheritance. In chapter 64 of Isaiah, verses 1 and 2, the people pray this. If you would only tear the heavens open And come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence just as fire kindles brushwood and fire boils water to make your name known to your enemies so that the nations will tremble at your presence. At Jesus' baptism, God finally answered that prayer and he tore open the heavens. Only there was no fire, there was no trembling. Instead, his spirit settled peacefully on his son like a dove. And the father made it known that he was well-pleased with the son. You see, Jesus is the true Israel of God who obeyed the father perfectly in everything. And like Israel then, Jesus was brought out into the wilderness. Look at verse 12. Immediately, the spirit drove him into the wilderness He was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. Mark finishes this section by showing the transition from John's ministry uh, uh, to Jesus' ministry. I need to back up a little bit. Getting ahead of myself. I'm excited about where this is going. John says, the one who is more powerful than, than me is coming. Jesus comes. And this one who's more powerful than John, he showed his power in the wilderness by doing what Israel couldn't. He obeyed God perfectly. He's in the wilderness for 40 days. It's meant to draw your attention to the 40 years that the Israelites spent wandering because they could not obey the Lord. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He was tested in the wilderness. And he nailed it. He obeyed every single time. He resisted the devil, something that Adam and Eve couldn't do. You see, he's the son of God who carries the divine authority to inaugurate God's kingdom to come. And the son of man who defines what it truly means to be human. And the lord of armies who came as the perfect human to destroy the power of Satan and the domain of darkness in the wilderness. He was served by his angel soldiers and ministered to there. And then Mark finishes this section by showing the transition then from John's ministry to Jesus' ministry. So let's look at verse 14 and 15. It says, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. John's arrest signals the end of John's ministry. He has done his job. He's prepared the people for the coming of the Lord, and now the Lord has come. In another gospel, he says, he must increase, I must decrease. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the one who announces his coming. Now I'm going to get out of the way. John's arrest signals the end of his ministry. John was the messenger, and his message was repent and believe in the Lord's return. He's coming. But now who is the messenger? If John's ministry is over, the message has to continue, right? Mark said John came proclaiming, and now he says Jesus went proclaiming. Jesus is not only the Lord who has come, whom John prepared the people for, but now Jesus is the new messenger. And what is his message? The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. And this is Mark's message to anyone who reads these verses over and over and over as we read Mark's gospel. We're confronted with this idea. This is who Jesus is. Do you believe? And if so, repent. John came to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus came to prepare the people for the kingdom. And now, we as the ones who are reading about this, who are hearing about this, are called to do the same thing that those people that they told in that day were called to do to repent and to believe with the people. This is the gospel right here, okay? The gospel is the good news. Good news that God forgives and saves rebellious sinners and welcomes them into his kingdom through the life, death, and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ. And, and we are saved and forgiven when we repent when we turn from our sins and we believe in this good news about Jesus, Jesus' earthly ministry was ended by his arrest, which led to his crucifixion the the next day. But the rescuing power of the king and his kingdom and the reconciliation of his people, those things were inaugurated through his death and resurrection. The cross was Christ's throne. John prepared the people for the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah who came and inaugurated the kingdom of God in the hearts of the people. And a day is coming when the heavens will tear open once more. And the Lord will descend and he will make his name known to all mankind. And those who have repented and believed the good news will be brought into his kingdom and presence forever. That's the promise that we have. While those who have rejected God and denied the good news, they will be cast out of the gates of the kingdom to the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. As followers of Christ, listen, we have now been given the ministry of reconciliation to prepare people for Christ's return and to plead with them on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled. You reconcile to God. We are ambassadors for Christ and God is now making his appeal through us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. We are the messengers now. But we haven't been left to our own power to do this. Just before Jesus was taken up into heaven after he rose from the dead, he told his disciples, Acts 1-8, you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, you will be my messengers to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So everyone who repents and believes this good news is given the Holy Spirit to come inside them and as citizens of the kingdom now, as exiles in this world, we're called to go out into the wilderness, out into the exile, out into all parts of the world as messengers with a message of hope the gospel, good news. And so that begs the question then this morning, are you a messenger? Are you, are, you, are you a messenger? You see, you can't be a messenger if you haven't believed the message. And so the call for you is the same as, as the call for anyone else. This is the news. There's bad news in it. But it's not called the bad news. It's called the good news. It's the gospel. It's hope that says we can be rescued from us. How do you you receive that? You confess your sins. You repent. You turn from your sin and you turn toward God and you believe in this good news that Jesus has come to save you, to forgive you, to redeem you, and to cleanse you. So that he can bring you into his kingdom forever. If you are a messenger, here's your question. Do you have the right message? Are you preparing people with this full picture of of what's coming, or are you leaving parts out to soften the blow? This is what the gospel is not, okay? It's not living your best life now. It's not cleaning up your act and, and walking into church and looking good for other people. It's not working harder or being a good person. It's more than digging wells for clean water or advocating for the rights of others, even though those things are good and they come out of our response to God, it's the good news of reconciliation that comes with a call, a plea to be reconciled. Repent and believe. See, we need to do both and we need to, to help other people see their need to do both. That's the only response that we must call people to do. Everything else comes out of our newfound nature in Christ. He cleanses people for himself, for his own possession, eager to do good works. Good works cannot get you there. If they can, why would Jesus die? We can plead with others to be reconciled with God because of the promise of reconciliation. We can tell them to do it because if they do it, they will be. They will be reconciled. That that God has given us this, this promise through his beloved son, Jesus Christ. John came preparing the way for the Lord. His message was repent and believe. Jesus came preparing his people for his kingdom. His message was repent and believe. And now we come to prepare people for the return of this king. And our message? Repent and believe. You See, there's only one message. There's only one gospel. There's only one response. There's only one way into the kingdom. And so let's live as messengers with the only message that truly saves. And let's walk out these doors this morning. And take the good news with us and proclaim it, that the God uh, of grace and mercy has come and he's coming again. And Let's share this good news with others and call them to respond to it through faith and repentance. The king is coming. It's a real thing. And his faithful messengers are the ones who preach the faithful message that turns the hearts of the children back to their father. So let that be us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you've given us the message of reconciliation. We're grateful that none of us stand here this morning on our own power and, and be reconciled with you. There's just nothing that we can do to earn what you freely give to us through Jesus Christ. And so I pray this morning that as we hear this word, as we receive it, that we would receive it with repentance and faith, that the life of a believer is one of ongoing repentance and belief, that we continue to lay hold of the promise of God in Jesus Christ. And we continue to say no to the sin, to resist the temptation because you've given us the power to do that. You've reconciled us to yourself. You've redeemed us. And for anyone in here that has not been reconciled to you, I pray today is the day that they see themselves for who they are, just like us, in desperate need of a Savior. And they see you for who you really are. The Savior. The one who has come the one who is coming again in power to rule and reign forever for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name.